0: People need encouragement like cars need gasoline. Like a kite needs the wind. Like babies need their mother's milk. Like our lungs need air. But we all get discouraged. Circumstances get the best of us. Someone bursts our bubble and we're deflated. We lose courage to do what we're called to do. We feel we can't go on. If you or someone you know is discouraged today maybe even feel like you want to throw in the towel in regards to the faith it's a good thing that we're studying the book of Hebrews because Hebrews is all about advice and encouragement for Christians about to give up if you would take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 10 we're gonna be reading verses 32 to 39 And please stand with me as we read God's Word today. Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 32. This is God's Word. But remember the former days when after being enlightened you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while... He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. And Lord God, we thank you for your word this day. We pray, Lord, you'd speak to us, teach us, Encourage us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Hebrews chapter 10 challenges us, it warns us, and it encourages us. After the challenge in verses 19 through 25 to draw near to God, to hold fast to confession, to consider how we can stimulate one another to love and good deeds, then there are strong words of warning in verses 26 through 31. There are warnings against sinning on purpose, of walking all over Jesus, of saying that his sacrifice didn't mean anything, and of insulting the Spirit of grace. We saw in that passage the choices and consequences of those who reject Jesus. And after such strong words of encouragement, some encouragement is needed. Our scripture passage for today is both timely and timeless, timely for those who first heard it and timeless truths for us today to lay hold of in times of discouragement. Some people have likened this passage of encouragement after warning to a surgeon who has done surgery on their patient and then afterwards comes along and comforts them and encourages them. But what do we do when we or someone we know and love are discouraged? The first is that we must remember the past. We must remember the past. Verse 32 begins, but remember. Remember. This is a command. It's an imperative that stresses a constant mental rehearsing of facts. A constant mental rehearsing of facts. It could actually be translated, keep on reminding yourselves. Keep on calling to your mind the truth you know. Now, what are we to remember? What are we to call to mind? First of all, what God has done. What God has done in our lives when He saved us from our sins. The Hebrews that were being written to were being encouraged to remember literally the former days. Which means the first days. It was the first days after they came to trust in Jesus for their salvation. It refers to the time when they first responded to the gospel. It refers to their conversion to Christ. When they first saw the light that Jesus is who he said he was. And he did what he said he did. That he's the only way to eternal life. It points to that work of God when he opens up spiritually blind eyes. Taking people from death to life. From darkness to light. Do you remember the time that you came to know Jesus? For some of us it was years and years ago. For others it was more recently. It could have been 50 years for you or 20 years or 5 years or a year or even last week. Do you remember do you remember what God did in saving you so you can be encouraged in times of trouble? Now, if you can't recall anything, and I realize some people don't have a specific point in time when they knew they came to know Jesus. Mine was a year, somewhere in the early part of 1982, I came to know Christ. But I know and I can remember that Jesus saved my soul from the penalty and the power Of sin. But if you can't recall anything and you're you're thinking, I don't know, maybe there's nothing there. Maybe there isn't a time when you have trusted in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And for you, I would say you need to come to Jesus Christ. If you believe that He came to earth and that He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, and He was buried and He rose from the dead. And you believe that. And you can even say to the Lord, even, even as you're sitting there this morning, Lord, I believe, I believe. You could write down October 7th, 2007 as the day that you came to faith in Christ. But we need to remember our conversion in Christ and also we need to remember what God has enabled us to do, what he has done and what he enables us to do. Right after they were saved, these Hebrew Christians, verse 32 tells us, endured a great conflict of sufferings. A great conflict of sufferings. The writer uses an athletic metaphor here. For, so for our sports fans among us, you'll like this. It's an athletic metaphor. It's where, the, the Greek word is where we get our English word, athlete. And it's a translation, transliteration of that Greek word where we get our word athlete. It means to fight. It means to strive. Now, speaking of athletic contests, do you think that there were any Notre Dame fans, the 20,000 or so of them last night at the Rose Bowl, do you think there were any Notre Dame fans that were cheering the UCLA players on to do their best? They were speaking out kind words to them so that they could just maximize their potential. Or, Or do you think that there were any Stanford fans last night at the Coliseum just just singing out that, that USC should win? Or how about Boston? For our Angels, our Boston fans, you think that there are Boston fans today just cheering on the Angels that they would do so well and that they love them so much? No, you know that when you're in an athletic contest, there are people rooting for one team and for another, and they are they become opponents in the same stadium. It happens in children's uh Sports leagues as well. I was coaching Savannah, my six-year-old, yesterday in soccer. And uh, we were down five to nothing. And the coach on the other side of of the field is yelling, steal the ball away from him!" And we lost six to nothing. And the guy is like screaming like it's the, you know, World Cup or something. Now, sadly, sometimes fans turn on the home team. They start to boo them and, 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 and give them a hard time. And sadly, in the church, we've got enough opponents. We don't need the home team booing the home team. The fans booing the home team. But sometimes, sadly, even in the church, that spiritual battle takes place even amongst believers. You see, those early believers were engaged in spiritual battle. They were engaged with spirit, in spiritual battle with the devil with his demons and with the unsaved and even sadly with some inside the church where it ought not to have happened. In fact, the fight, the athletic uh, contest resulted for them in reproaches as we see and tribulations, reproaches and tribulations and they met the challenge of suffering as good athletes of Jesus. They stood firm just as Jesus as we read in, in Hebrews 2, nine, he was perfected through suffering. These believers matured in the will of God as they maintained their obedience to God. And in doing so, they became active partakers with the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Their reproaches and tribulations were both direct and indirect. Look at verse 33. Verse 33 says partly by being made a public spectacle and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. The Greek word used for public spectacle or gazing stock is where we get our English word theater from. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, nine that he was made a spectacle to the world. He was made a theater to the world. And the analogy is this, that to the unbelieving... Christians were seen as foolish clowns on the stage of life. Foolish. Fools for Christ. That's often how it goes today. Now, in those days, spectators in the theaters would hurl two types of abuse at rejected actors. One was verbal abuse. The other was material objects. They would throw stuff at them when they didn't like what the actor was doing. Well, just as that happened in the theaters of that day, so the unsaved threw two kinds of abuse at these Hebrew believers. First, there were reproaches. That means verbal ridicule, verbal mockery. Jesus received similar treatment when he was on the cross. Now, second, there was tribulations. Tribulations. Literally, injury to their bodies as well as removal of their property from them they took their stuff they stole their property now jesus promised that his own followers would experience this type of persecution in fact in john 16:33 he uses the same word you will become a uh, you will have these tribulations now they were directly exposed to pressure to affliction they were publicly shamed ridiculed humiliated sneered at but also indirectly they willingly associated with themselves with other believers who were treated the same way they became then sharers partners comrades companions the greek word is where we get our word fellowship koinonia they shared in the fellowship of christ's sufferings along with other believers that were suffering for christ they were made a public spectacle and they shared alongside those who were a public spectacle. What else did they do? Look at verse 34. Here's something else that God enabled them to do. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners. They visited prisoners that were prisoners for the sake of Christ. They, they sympathized. It means they had fellow feelings alongside of. They suffered together. They, they visited their comrades in jail. And in so doing... Visited Jesus. Let's go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25, Matthew chapter 25, starting at verse 34. Jesus said these words Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. You did it to me. Now they didn't just let the people take their stuff. They joyfully accepted the seizure of their property. It means they rejoiced. When their stuff was taken. Now, how do you feel when your stuff is taken? Kids, how do you feel when your stuff is taken? When your brother or your sister touches your things? Adults, how do you feel when your stuff is messed with? You don't like it, do you? None of us like that. We want to protect our stuff. Well, it says here that they joyfully, verse 34, joyfully accepted the seizure of their property. They took it. But it means that they rejoiced when they were looted and pillaged and, and plundered. But Why? Why would they joyfully accept that? Well, look at that verse. It says, you joyfully uh, took, accepted the seizure of your property knowing. See, see, they knew something. They accepted something. They perceived something that was true that was beyond what they could see. See, they knew that they had literally held on to, possession, a better, more great, more lasting possession. Something that remained, that abided, that endured. They recognized that. They saw that. They were aware of their true possession. See, they believed Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19. Let's go there. Matthew chapter 6 In verse 19, Jesus said this. He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, nor where thieves break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. They believed the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 22... Jesus says, Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. They treated the prophets in the same way. See, our stuff won't have such a magnetic pull on us When we see the unseen realities. When we truly see ourselves as we are, citizens of heaven. That believers in Jesus are citizens of heaven. And that material things, whether they're abundance in our life or the lack thereof, when we focus too intently on them, they really cloud our perspective, don't they? But see, they won't have such a magnetic pull on us. And they don't have such a magnetic pull on us when we see the true realities, the spiritual realities that are going on. So first what we see is that by remembering the past, what God did in saving believers and what he enables believers to do, we find encouragement. But memory alone won't get us through times of discouragement. There must be this active engagement in the present time. Movement, progress, looking toward the future looking to the future look at verse 35 there are two conjunctions in this passage one in verse 32 remember and then in verse 35 therefore because of this don't throw away your confidence don't throw it away because of what god has done and enabled you to do here's another command don't cast away the confidence that you possess now what will this take First, we need an attitude of confidence, even for the the people that are not naturally self-confident, a confidence in God that says he can and will do what he says he will do, that he can do anything he wants, an attitude of confidence. Confidence is freedom of speech. It is boldness. It is openness. Have you ever thrown something really valuable away? Something that you needed on a daily basis. And you just have that w- the worst feeling. I mean, for me, when I was younger, when I was in high school, it was my retainer. I got a couple stories I could tell you, we don't have time right now, that are just very interesting stories of how I lost and got my retainer back. You see, they were more expensive then than they are now. And every time I would lose my retainer, I would see my life flash before my eyes, thinking what my parents were going to say when they'd have to buy a new retainer. But you have to have something to be able to throw it away, and they had this confidence that they were not to cast away. Don't throw away your possession of confidence in God's promises. You notice the writer of the Hebrews did not say, "Hey, don't let them take your stuff." He didn't say, "Protect your valuables at all by all means." He didn't say, "Stand up for your rights and make sure they don't bug you too much." He said, don't throw away your true possession. Don't throw away what is truly uh, real and that won't be stolen or burned up or, or decay. Don't do that. It's your confidence. See, the writer is saying that this confidence has a great reward. There's a great payout for this confidence. There's a great payment of wages for holding on to this confidence. He's saying, you showed courage in earlier days. And, and you can all of us that know Jesus could give, a, could give stories of when you first came to Christ and how God enabled you by strength that you didn't even possess, but by his supernatural strength to do what he called you to do and to stand firm in the face of opposition. He says, you've been courageous in the past. Don't abandon it now. He uses the word boldness just like he has three other times in Hebrews. In Hebrews 4.16, in Hebrews 10.19, he talked about the confidence we have to come boldly to God's throne. Why? Because Jesus is there representing us. Jesus is there as our high priest, our representative. Now, in chapter 3, verse 6, he used this word confidence in another way. Look at it with me for just a moment, because this is the same way he uses it here in Hebrews 10. In Hebrews three, 3, 6, he says, Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are. I love the we. He brings himself into the picture. We hold, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. This is how it's used here in Hebrews 10. Referring to being steadfast in the midst of trial and suffering and opposition. It combines the ideas of our attitude or mindset, knowing that we are secure in Christ in terms of salvation, and then openly confessing the truth in times of difficulty. See, confidence is necessary. There's something else that goes along with it that mixes and blends right into it. We also need a commitment to endurance. Endurance. Look at verse 36. The writer says, you have need of endurance. You have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what was promised. When I was in high school, I was a cross-country runner, and every year for several years, our coach would take us to Montana, to the high altitude, and we would train for three weeks. It was tough. It was hard work. But when we came back to the flatlands, we were faster. We were better able to do what we were supposed to do because we had trained hard. And you see that in any athletic endeavor. When you train hard, as hard as you work in practice, I say this to my teams all the time when I coach my kids, as hard as we work in practice, that's how good we'll do in the game. It will come out in the game. Tough work, but it pays dividends in the long run. Well, see, we have need of endurance uh, to be remaining, to be patiently enduring, to be persevering and steadfast because God wants us to do His will. What does that mean, do the will of God? Well, here, in a general way, it means obviously doing what God wants, doing what pleases God, doing what God intends. Specifically in this context, what does it mean to do the will of God? 1 Peter 3 gives us an idea. If God is better... If God should will it that we suffer for doing right rather than for doing what is wrong. If you're a Christian and you know Jesus, you'll suffer. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4. Go to 1 Peter 4 with me. I want us to see these words, 1 Peter 4, 12, and not to see them just as words to the baby church in the first century, but words to us. Words to us who live right now in 2007. Here's what Peter said. He said, Beloved... Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Then look at verse 19. Those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Doing what is right. Confidence. Endurance. Hanging in there. They they both must be present for us to be encouraged in the midst of difficulties. And there's something else that goes right along. It blends right in with those other two. And it's this. A lifestyle of faith. A lifestyle of faith. In verses 37 through 39, the writer to the the Hebrews, um, in the first two verses there, in 37 and 38, quotes Habakkuk. Quotes Habakkuk, an Old Testament prophecy. Habakkuk was crying out to God in the later part of the 7th century B.C. Why was he crying out to God? Because there was oppression at every point that was coming upon God's people. And he wondered when God was going to intervene, when he would come to their rescue, when a deliverer would come. God's answer was, be patient. It's on the way. It's not here yet. Relax in me. Believe me, it's coming. It's just not yet. And so meanwhile, the, the, the man who was righteous would, was to trust God. It was an allusion, again, to what is brought out so clearly in the New Testament and also brought out in the Old Testament justification by faith. That we are made right with God through faith. Just like Abraham. Abraham believed God, it was reckoned to him as righteousness. But they would be preserved through simple trust in God. So too in the midst of difficult circumstances we are to keep going in Christ. That God is pleased when we press on in faith. We're going to go into a uh, a whole series of messages now in our in our study of Hebrews in Hebrews 11. And in Hebrews 11:6 it says without faith it is impossible to please God. Without faith we can't please God. Now, the writer knew the true substance of those he wrote to. Look at verse 39. He says, "We are not of those who shrink back to destruction." This is encouragement here. He is he's lathering on the encouragement to them. He's saying, we're not those who shrink back to destruction. We're of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. We are those who believe and are saved. Those are words of encouragement designed to build their confidence, designed to build their endurance, designed to build their faith so that they could withstand whatever was coming their way, whatever they would face at any time in the future. Well, what are you facing right now in your life? I know that every one of us is facing difficulties and challenges and even, even opposition. What are you facing right now in your life? You could name it because you could think it right away. You know what your troubles are. But where do you find encouragement in times of discouragement? Do you know and love Jesus? If so, you are not of those who shrink back to destruction but of those who have faith to the preserving of your souls. That's the truth. We've got to believe the truth and not lies. Do you have encouragers or discouragers in your life? I mean, as you look at your life, do you think there are more people coming towards you with discouraging things that kind of push you down or, or encouraging things that somewhat lift you up? Discouragers are like the people who tried to get Nehemiah and his crew to stop building the walls of Jerusalem. Go to Nehemiah chapter 4 for a minute. Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah had gone to rebuild the walls. They're making progress. And in in chapter 4 of Nehemiah, verse 1, it says, when Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious, very angry, and he mocked the Jews. And here's what he, he spoke. What are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore it for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble? And Tobiah the Ammonite was nearby him, and he said, you know what? Even with their building, if a fox jumped through it, he'd, bu- he'd bust it down. A fox would break their little dinky wall. That's what they were going, throwing at. But you know what? Nehemiah didn't listen. He encouraged the troops. They finished the wall. They built the wall. And even then, they, they, there were enemies that conspired against them to, to get them to, to, to stop and to cause a disturbance among them. But they prayed. Verse 9, it says, We pray to, the, to our God. And because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. See, the workers, in one hand, a weapon. In the other, a tool. A sword and a trowel. Day and night. You got encouragers in your life? Encouragers are like Jonathan with David. Go to 1 Samuel 23. 1 Samuel chapter 23 David was being chased down by Saul. Saul was trying to kill him. In 1 Samuel twenty three fifteen, David becomes aware that Saul is seeking his life. He's in the wilderness. And look at verse 16. Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Oresh and encouraged him in God. Literally, it means he strengthened his hands. He encouraged him in God. Look what he says to him. He says, don't be afraid. Don't fear. Why? Because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you. He was a man of confidence, and he was passing it on to David. He said, you will be king over Israel. I will be next to you. And Saul, my father, knows that too. You see, to encourage someone means you make them firm, you strengthen them. When we discourage someone, we weaken them. Well, usually when we think of encouragement, we think of someone doing something towards us or saying something to us that makes us feel better. But I want to share something with you. What if there's, some, what if there's no one around to encourage you? What if you're discouraged and you're all home alone and no one calls and no one writes you a note And no one says a word. What do you do? What I want to share with you right now is what I think is the prevalent model for believers in Jesus in terms of encouragement. Yes, we are to encourage one another. Hebrews uh, chapter 10 even says that. Encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Yes, we're to encourage one another, but we also fail one another in in that task. So what do you do when nobody encourages you and you're discouraged? We can encourage ourselves in the Lord. That's what David did. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 30. 1 Samuel chapter 30. David's family and all his stuff had been taken. The people wanted to stone him. What did he do? Look at 1 Samuel 30 and verse 4. David and the people who were with him lifted their voices and wept till there was no strength left in them to weep. Have you ever wept like that? You cried and you cried till you had no more strength. David's family had been taken, and he was in great distress because the people were saying, let's stone him, let's get rid of him, let's get rid of this guy as our leader. And look at verse 6, it says, but David strengthened himself In the Lord his God. And the result was strength and victory. He goes to Abiathar the priest. And he gives him the ephod. And he prays. He inquires of God. And God says go. And they basically have a a huge victory over the Amalekites. David brought everything back. His family and all the things that had been taken. How did David encourage himself in the Lord? How did he encourage himself in the Lord? Because he didn't see himself as a victim of circumstance. He boldly took action and engaged in a process where encouragement happened between him and the Lord. See, he wasn't alone with it. He encouraged himself in the Lord. It was him and God. God was his encouragement. What could he have said to himself? The Bible doesn't tell us specifically. But he could have remembered how God helped him to kill the lion and the bear when they were trying to steal his father's sheep. He could have remembered how God enabled him to uh, overtake Goliath. He may have remembered all the times before that God had spared his life from Saul. Whatever the case, the outcome was strength and victory. But how do we, how can we encourage ourselves in the Lord? How can we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? First of all, by remembering by remembering truth, remembering truth that sets us free, I know what I what find, what I find helpful in my life is rereading my old journals. Rereading my old journals to remember what God did in certain situations in the past, back to 1984, or back to a year ago. I even I keep if someone sends me an encouraging note, I keep it in a file and I'll go through it sometimes and just read it again. It's an encouragement. But if David could encourage himself in the Lord, so can you and I. We can, you can, encourage yourself in the Lord when you're discouraged. I want you to do one more thing. I want you to go to Habakkuk chapter 2. Habakkuk chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 are the verses that are alluded to here in Hebrews 10. Verses 37 and 38. But I want you to see something. I want you to see what Habakkuk was doing because in Habakkuk chapter 2, Habakkuk's near the end of the Old Testament, Habakkuk in chapter 2 and verse 1, the prophet is talking to himself. He's having a conversation with himself. It's wild. Um, he's pouring out his trouble to God and now he encourages himself to wait for the answer from God. Now think of it this way, Here, in, in verse 1 he says this, I stand, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he, what God, will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. And now in verses 2 and 3, God answers. But verse 1, he is encouraging himself in the Lord. He is, he is says he's going to this high tower. I want you to think of this not, uh, not uh, externally but internally figuratively, it's taken from the custom of going to high places to look out over the distance, into the distance. So he wanted to go into, in a sense, spiritual preparation in his soul for hearing the word of God. But he could see what God was going to do. He wanted to be ready to hear God's word. J.I. Packer talks about this. He alludes to the practice of thinking deeply about the Lord in times of need in his book, Knowing God. He talks of the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to oneself the various things that one knows about the works and ways and purposes and promises of God. It is an activity of holy thought, Packer says, consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communion with God. Its purpose is to clear one's mental and spiritual vision of God and to let his truth make its full and proper impact on one's mind and heart. It is a matter of talking to oneself about God and oneself. It is indeed often a matter of arguing oneself, reasoning oneself out of moods of doubt and unbelief into a clear understanding of God's power and grace. Arguing with yourself out of moods of doubt and unbelief, into a clear understanding of God's goodness and grace. You see, when we're discouraged, it's easy to have tunnel vision. I remember being in Switzerland, going from France into Switzerland, and I was in a six-mile tunnel. I was getting all freaked out while I was in that tunnel. I was really claustrophobic, because as I was going through the tunnel, there's no daylight, But I'll tell you what, when we came through that tunnel, maybe a mile ago or so, you see a glimmer of light, and pretty soon you're in daylight. Well, some of you feel like you're in the middle of a tunnel right now, and you don't have the vision, and you don't have clarity, and you're confused, and you need someone to come alongside you and encourage you. But you also need, right where you're at, to encourage yourself in the Lord, to allow Jesus to be your encourager. To allow Jesus to be your strength and your sufficiency and your adequacy. Do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? If so, we are not those who shrink back to destruction. But we are of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you and praise you. For your word this day to us. And we thank you, Lord, that just as Habakkuk was waiting for the fulfillment of this vision, that you were pointing to to your return. And we wait, Lord, even as we pray and as we live our lives for you, our expected uh, deliverer. We await Christ's return. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our encouragement and our encourager and that you lift us up and you build us up and you, you shepherd our souls because you are with us every single moment of every single day. And we thank you, Lord, that that's the privilege we have when we are, are saved and known by you. Lord, we do need you as our lungs need air. And We thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.